Knowledge is power, and we are all about empowering the mamas of the world. In each episode, we will unravel and interpret the latest research and evidence-based practices for pregnancy, postpartum, and motherhood. As mums and researchers ourselves, we have experienced firsthand the overwhelming complexity of information, myths, and those classic old wives' tales. I'm Dr. Renee White. And I'm Dr. Mika Petucci. And, and this, this is The Science of Motherhood. Hello and welcome to episode 37 of The Science of Motherhood. I am your co-host, Dr. Renee White, and my other beautiful co-host, Dr. Mika Petucci, is looking after mamas. This is what we do. We are not only scientists, but we are postpartum doulas and we have the wonderful mother lover business, Fill Your Cup, which is a postpartum doula village practicing in Melbourne and Hobart, Australia. We have a wonderful team of beautiful women who we get to do that with all the time. So shout out to our little doula village as well. And if you are new to the science of motherhood, Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. And it may be new to you that we also have our own Fill Your Cup or FYC product range that we have just launched this year. We have been working quite busily behind the scenes on three amazing products, in particular our chocolate goji lactation cookie mix, which we have been serving up to Melbourne and Hobart mamas in our in-home service for the last 18 months. And we were thinking, how are we going to get these to all the mamas across Australia? It is remiss of us not to be able to do that for you. So we have made a dry mix for you that you can purchase on our website, ifillyourcup.com. Com. And if you would like a cheeky little discount for our cookie mix or our postpartum recovery sits, which has over seven organically grown botanicals, or even if you are looking for that perfect warm hug, our creamy coconut dal mix, you cannot go past it. So it's first in market with organic bone broth in it. So it is just so quick and easy to put together a lunch or dinner. Everything is freezable, which is amazing. But if you would like a cheeky little discount for yourself, Mama, head over to our website, ifillyourcup.com. And when you are in the checkout, use the code I love FYC, I L O V E F Y C, and you will get yourself. 15% off any one of those products. And we are shipping only to Australia at the moment. We have had some people internationally who have requested um, to purchase some of our products, but unfortunately we are not in a position to do that right now. Um, but if and when, you will be the first to know. So excitingly, we have got an amazing guest on the podcast today. We have got the Department of Health's Chief Nursing and Midwifery Officer, Professor Alison McMillan. And my goodness, she has like 
an amazing background. I'm always fascinated by how people get to these positions. What were what was the path that you took to kind of get to such an amazing spot? So Alison is actually a registered nurse with a Bachelor of Education and a Master's of Business Administration or an MBA. And she practiced as a nurse for many, many years here in Melbourne, Australia, and then progressively kind of made her way into policy and practices. And she was even a team leader in a number of Australian medical assistance team deployments, so OSMAT deployments, including the repatriation of Australians from, you may recall, the Diamond Princess cruise ship in Japan, which she talks about. That's a fascinating discussion. Towards the end of of the interview, she was part of the team in Fiji following the Cyclone Winston in 2016, Vanuatu following Cyclone Pam in 2015, and in Indonesia following the Indian Ocean tsunami in 2005. So I guess sometimes we think of these people in these high positions of, you know, government and policy, but she has had, like, (laughs) she's not got there by, you know, not doing the hard work, shall we say. She has been at the coalface. She's been a nurse. She has been, you know, this is not her first rodeo when it comes to, I guess, dealing with emergency and or disaster responses. And Alison was, I guess, really critical to the COVID-19 pandemic and particularly to the infection and prevention measures. And she even, and I say this in the interview because she is so humble, she was the recipient for the Public Service Medal for Outstanding Public Service during that time. And so it is it is no, it is no doubt that is the reason why she is in the position that she's in as the Chief Nursing and Midwifery Officer. And so Alison's role is obviously to deliver high level policy um, and advice to the Minister for Health and executive and staff within the Department of Health. So she has got people's ears and that is what we want. We want to be able to access all of that information because that is what we do here on the Science of Motherhood. It is all about being able to take the information that we know in that science field, being able to break it down and bridge that gap, bring it to you, the public, which sometimes, you know, can be a little bit tricky or people just don't know where to start looking or they're worried about the credibility of the source. So in today's episode, Alison and I kind of deep dive into vaccinations. Vaccinations, uh, we can all kind of attest to the fact that It has been a really highly charged topic, particularly with the COVID pandemic. And for majority of Australians, our way of life has hinged on the research and rollout of the COVID vaccination. You know, prior to this, vaccinations were still hotly debated. I think we can all kind of, you know, hand on heart attest to that. But we kind of deep dive into, you know, what's happening at the moment in terms of our flu season and the importance of having really good access to information that is credible and reputable about making those decisions for you and your family as to whether or not you're going to vaccinate in this flu season. So I think that's a really important topic because we've kind of been hidden away for a couple of years now and no one's been travelling and 
<laughs> you know, in Melbourne in particular, we've, we have been hiding out in our houses with lockdowns and things like that. So we haven't been exposed to, you know, that seasonal influenza and particularly our young ones, you know, the, the children who are zero to kind of two, three, four, five, their immune systems alone are very, very immature and they you know, haven't picked up or been exposed to, you know, particular germs and 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 flu and things like that. So Alison walks us through, I guess, you know, the safety and efficacy of the vaccinations. But one of the things that I really like about her is that even though you can, you might assume she's in this position of authority and she's part of the government and things like that, she makes a really good point in the interview, which is it's okay to be curious. It's okay to not know about vaccinations or to not be sure about what you want to do. That's totally okay. Absolutely. It's okay to have those feelings and to talk about it. But what she, and and I'm very (laughs) passionate about this as well, as a scientist, as someone who has studied and have a PhD in biochemistry and immunology, I think it's so important that we educate ourselves with reputable and credible information because as we know here on the Science of Motherhood, knowledge is power. And with that knowledge, you can empower yourself with the decision-making that is best for you and your family, whatever it is that you choose to do. So without further ado... Here is Professor Alison McMillan. Hello and welcome to the podcast, Professor Alison McMillan. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. We are very excited to have you on. And I think as a way of introduction, I would love to hear about your journey to becoming the Chief Nursing and Midwifery Officer. I think the listeners have already probably cottoned on that we can hear that you're from the motherland, shall we say. Um, Can you talk to us about what that pathway looked like and how you came to Australia and and the position that that you're currently in? Sure. sure. Um, Renee, so I I trained in England as as a registered nurse in the 1980s. I've been a nurse for 40 years. In those days, of course, nurse training was at hospital. So I'm hospital trained. And whilst working as a staff nurse, as the English term, in, uh, in 1986, uh, Australia were advertising for nurses to come and work in, uh, in Victoria. The offer was a year's contract. They subsidised my airfare. And so my husband and I sold our apartment and jumped on a plane and came to Australia. And I worked at the Austin Hospital in Melbourne for for 14 years, which, you know, I have incredibly fond memories of working at the Austin. My Predominantly my uh, clinical work was in intensive care, so I'm an mm-hmm. intensive care trained nurse, and then worked in, in education for quite some time in teaching nurses postgraduately, and then went into hospital management at the Austin I then moved to work at the Royal Melbourne Hospital, again mm-hmm. in Melbourne, as a Chief Operating Officer and a number of other roles during that time. And then went to work for what was the, I will call it the Health Department in Victoria. Mm-hmm. So I went there to cover areas about the safety and quality of care 
But during all this time, I always remained a registered nurse. So I've always kept my registration. I work very hard to maintain my consistent knowledge and expertise. So important to say, Renee, I'm not a mid, I'm not a registered midwife, and that's why I'm called the chief nursing and midwifery officer. So mm-hmm. I, I mustn't represent myself as a midwife, although obviously I've got a very long career in in healthcare and in nursing. So I worked at the Department of Health in a number of its guises, and at that time also developed a, an interest in what we call emergency management. So responding to disasters, I've I've responded to a number of emergencies over the years, particularly overseas. So I may have heard the term OSMAT, Australian Medical Assistance Team. So I've deployed on a number of occasions um, overseas after mass casualty disasters as an Australian representative, um, which is a real privilege to do that. And then in late in in 2019, I was successful in my application to become the Commonwealth Chief Nursing and Midwifery Officer. And uh, I've been here since November of 2019, expecting to do a very different job to the job I, in fact, I do today, because of course, of COVID is the, you know, the biggest international event that has happened in any of our lifetimes, I think. Mm. Although many of the people who lived through the Second World War would perhaps say that that was, but for many of us, I think it is has the, has the greatest impact on our lives, and I'm sure we'll reflect in years to come about what how how it's changed us in many ways. It has, certainly for me, it's been a very busy time, but I've been privileged to work with some of the most amazing people who are so committed to trying to pretty much you know minimise the impact of of COVID on on the community and uh, you know our success as a country, the the work that. The community has done that our health professionals have done and that many of my colleagues in government have done has you know seen us be seen as one of the leading countries in our response not not in any way suggesting that what we're seeing right now or the the impact of of the cases and sadly the deaths that we've seen aren't aren't important because they are but we have probably you know avoided we certainly avoided some of the impact that other countries have seen across the world mm, absolutely and just reflecting on your comment of you know starting that position in 2019 and just not anticipating what was in front of you it makes me think about you know that question they ask you in interviews where do you see yourself in five years and I guarantee that nobody (laughs) could have predicted the absolute storm that was coming for us at all and I just wanted to note that you know, I can tell that you're very humble about the work that you do. And for the listeners at home, Alison was actually the recipient of a public service medal for her outstanding public service through the COVID-19 pandemic health response, and in particular, the infection prevention measures. So congratulations for that. We do thank we have to thank the people within the health department and the scientists and the people who assisted us through this pandemic, and we continue to require that assistance. It's 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 not gone yet <laughs> at at all. Thanks for kind of sharing that journey. Wow, that's that's an amazing kind of transition from nurse through to I guess government and policies and and as you say, prevention measures. Today we're going to deep dive into vaccinations. You know, vaccinations in particular during pregnancy and early childhood. And I think 
thanks to modern medicine, we actually have, you know, access to vaccinations. A special shout out to Louis Pasteur back in, I think it was the 1800s. I think he was kind of meddling around in his in his lab and and was one of the, you know, the key implementers and inventors of the vaccination. We've been very fortunate to be able to eradicate things like smallpox. I think we've almost knocked polio out of the park from my last kind of look at the stats. But vaccinations have historically been debated. And, you know, there's always kind of two sides, I think, that have been in hot debate, you know, the science and then the anti-vaxxers as well. But the past two years, the word vaccine, vax, vaccination has been a really highly charged topic due to the COVID pandemic. And definitely I think people within Australia who are listening to this, you know, the majority of us, our way of life hinged on the research and rollout of the COVID vaccination here. So I guess I wanted to... I wanted to ask you, you know, in terms of vaccinations and things like that, obviously we're in the middle of a flu season here in Australia and we would typically and routinely be heading off to our GPs or our local pharmacists and and things like that to get our flu vac. Are you seeing, I guess, a hangover from the COVID vaccine rollout? Any fears and anxieties that are affecting what would normally be a typical rate of flu vaccinations here in Australia? We've seen a, an incredibly positive uptake of the vaccine, particularly in the older age group, the over 65s. There, there's clearly, you know, the, the numbers are, are fabulous and, and we're certainly seeing more people getting vaccinated than we have in previous years. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that uh, if, if we can just, you know, think a moment about the evolution of vaccines, but also the evolution of, of us as a society. So mm-hmm. we, um, you know, there would have been a time when, when simply people went to see a doctor and they got told what to do and they did that. And there wasn't access necessarily to, to wider information, uh, particularly from the social media world that we're in today. But people are, you know, it is appropriate and and, um, and I encourage people to be inquisitive, to ask questions around their health, the health of their, themselves, their children and their family, and, and to take the time to get the information they need to, to make the right decisions for them. But what I would encourage people to do is to make sure that they get information from reliable sources. We know today in the social media world that there are areas where I would suggest it's not as reliable and I encourage people certainly to use health.gov.au or many of the jurisdictional websites too that will provide you with the most up-to-date information. But so yes, we've seen a lot more debate in society about vaccines than we would have ever had before and I do think that's healthy. Mm -hmm. It's good for people to want to help me understand, help me understand what this means. But we have seen a good general uptake in the influenza vaccine. And in fact, what we're seeing is probably an an impact of that in that we've seen an early season, we've seen a very, very quick rise in flu, but we've probably passed the peak. 
and you know we're not seeing anywhere near the deaths associated with influenza that we might have seen in the past. There are areas where we're concerned that there isn't as much uptake of the influenza vaccine, and that's certainly in children. Right. Yeah. And do you think that that is because of that effect from COVID? Because I know that people, you know, were concerned. And as you say, I I mean, I've seen it as a scientist previously. I had the privilege of, you know, going through this pandemic of having, you know, over 15 years worth of experience as a medical researcher and someone who was very much kind of in, in the mix with diagnostics and I understand how a vaccine works and things like that. But is it around, are we not seeing that uptake in particular demographics because there is that kind of hangover from the COVID vaccination rollout? I think that we, we're certainly not seeing the uptake that we would like to see. And I think I think it's not, these things are never simply one aspect of, yep. a, of a response. You know, there's the fatigue that perhaps we feel with vaccinations and, you know, something else to have to do to take yeah. the kids to get vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Then there's the, the perhaps some measure of scepticism about whether is this really necessary you know, we haven't seen flu. Is it really that serious? You know, kids get flu and then they get over it. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think what we're trying to do is to reinforce that message that whilst for younger, for children, for many, influenza will be mild. For some, it can be catastrophic. Mm-hmm. And it is absolutely preventable, that catastrophic outcome that can occur for children. So that's why, to some extent, we know children are more vulnerable and that's why the vaccine is free mm. um, for that for that group because we know that that's a, a you know so we want to make sure there are no barriers to everyone who's vulnerable particularly the under fives in getting that vaccine and therefore it's free mm. and so it makes it easy to do so absolutely yeah. and in terms of i guess safety and efficacy i was just doing some research earlier in the week and because I was thinking, when was the first, you know, flu vaccination kind of invented and what was the evolution? And I'll just read out. So the, the first monovalent flu vaccine, so that for all those playing at home, that means there was only one kind of strain that it was targeting, was first invented in 1938. You know, we've been doing this a long time. The the the, to me, the research is there. It's it's like having the recipe to a cake. You know, your great-great-grandma has been doing this for a really long time. She's got it down pat. She understands how it works. And then we've just become, as scientists, I think, much, much better at refining that formulation, making it better each and every year. And now I think we're up to including four different strains in the current flu vaccination. Yeah, so there are different um, versions, yes, but we uh, the, the recommendations, of course, are always made by ATAGI. Uh, so ATAGI are the independent body that provides advice to the minister in relation to vaccination. And, and so they make those recommendations about the approach. And, uh, yeah, so you're right, we have had influenza vaccines in a range of forms for a long time. But remember previous pandemics that we know have occurred were influenza pandemics, particularly post the First World War with the, as it was called, the, the Spanish flu that killed mm. millions of people across the world. Mm. You know, so there was an understanding then of the the uh, the risks 
associated with these um, communicable diseases. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously, you know, we're trying to get the kids vaccinated, but what about kids in utero, Alison? That is, you know, I, I kind of, I work with pregnant women. I see it all the time. And, you know, I was, I've been pregnant before and there's always this kind of conscious, you know, thing around you where you're always thinking about what you're putting in your body, because it's not just you, it's, it's your baby as well that you're thinking about, whether it be food or, you know, you're walking down the street and someone's smoking on the side of the road or in front of you as you're walking. And then, you know, we throw in the vaccination kind of message as well there are huge benefits for a pregnant woman to be vaccinated as well because it's it's a twofold effect right it's not only herself but also her baby is able to get the benefit of that vaccination as well that's right so yeah renee completely right there are many things so we you know we know in pregnancy of all the things you shouldn't put in your body to protect your baby because anything you do has a potential to have an impact in utero. So, you know, not drinking, not smoking, good balanced diet and those sort of things are important for you and your baby. And and, and the same, the, the good things that you can put into your body, such as a vaccine, will go from you into your baby and protect them in the same way as it does for you. And so, you know, in the early days of the COVID vaccines, for instance, we, and I'm saying this, Renee, because I've been asked this on many occasions, mm. initially in the pandemic, we didn't recommend the, the vaccine for pregnant women because we didn't have enough information yep. to understand whether or not it was safe. And then as more people got vaccinated, the, the body of evidence grew. And then, in fact, we could see that it had a benefit. And that's, I think the message that's really important to all women, whether you're planning a pregnancy or are pregnant or breastfeeding, that the systems here in Australia and across the world to make sure these vaccines are safe are very rigorous. Mm. And these decisions are made by independent people who don't have a vested interest. So when they say, for instance, with COVID, they said initially, don't get vaccinated and then when we knew it was safe and we could make that recommendation now we're saying and really encouraging women who are either planning or are pregnant who are not up to date with their vaccines because we know that the consequences of COVID in pregnancy can be catastrophic mm-hmm. both for mother and baby mm-hmm. uh, and that's been seen across the world so uh, you know again making sure you're well informed making sure you're reading um, reliable and information, but that definitely we are recommending either planning pregnant or um, breastfeeding to get vaccinated, both obviously for influenza and for COVID. And that means keeping up to date with the COVID um, vaccinations as they're currently recommended, depends on your age. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the wonderful things, I think, you know, with that mother-baby dyad, you know, we were built to kind of, you know, be together and, and inform one another of the dangers, I think, around us. You know, it's it's a really beautiful kind of symbiosis, you know. A baby will, it's one of the things that we talk about with our mums in our in-home care that we provide and and it's to you for you to kiss your baby because what happens is you pick up 
on the microbes all around their body and then you take them in as a mother and your body has like quite a very mature immune system and you start to make antibodies if there's, you know, something that's a bit not quite right. And then if you're breastfeeding, those antibodies go into your breast milk and your baby consumes them and then they have that as part of their immune system repertoire. It is an amazing thing that we have going with our babies and the same thing is happening when they're in utero you know you're producing the antibodies to that vaccination and then it's going to cross that placental kind of barrier and your baby will start to kind of you know have that immune system uptake against influenza which is which is just amazing I'm just so fascinated by our anatomy I think it's great let's talk about I guess you know, the seriousness of the illness from influenza. You know, let's say there's people sitting back and thinking, oh, I'm just really not too sure. Is it that bad? Like what are the effects that we're currently seeing with influenza A in particular? I personally know like I think like probably two or three families who their young, young children have been hit with influenza and it has been a case of, you know, the older sibling has been in childcare, you know, childcare germs, every mum knows about those, brings it home and poor bubs gets it and they're in hospital. What are the types of, I guess, you know, things that we should be looking for and and, and things like that with, with this particular influenza strain this year? Yeah. Okay. So if we, if we start with the story that, of course, because of the response we've had to COVID, we haven't seen influenza in Australia in any any amount for a couple of years. Mm. So there's so for many children, particularly the younger children, they have simply not been exposed to influenza and not, therefore their immune systems have not been able to respond to that. So that's the first part. So yeah. then this year, of course, the borders are open and flu is here and it's circulating. And as you say, Kids will be kids and they do share everything. Yeah, sharing um, is caring, as my daughter says. Yeah. So, <laughs> everything, germs and cookies and everything. <laughs> whatever, yeah. So they will share it because of the nature of kids. And then they bring it home. And then when they bring it home, it's not only potentially the impact that that influenza has on that child. So, yes, they'll be sick. They'll feel terrible. It's awful. They'll be in bed for a few, luckily, but for some it does result in hospitalisation and for some, rarely, but it can result in severe illness. So the influenza can cause what's called sepsis, which is where the an, an infect, the infection invades the body of the child and all their systems become affected, which is what sepsis is, and it overwhelms the body. And that, and that can be quite catastrophic on, on the child, either a long-term disability or suddenly occasionally death. Again, they're rare, but it does happen. Mm-hmm. It, and it is absolutely preventable if the child were vaccinated. So that's for the individual child. But then we have to remember also about the impact it can have on the family. Mm-hmm. So then one child gives it to another. They're missing school. They're missing all the social parts of it that, that disrupt their learning. And we all know the disruption we've had to learning on our children already. And then, of course, more than likely, they'll pass it on to mum and dad as well, mm. or parents or whatever, in whatever shape or form those parents are. So then it's the impact on, 
on the ability to child caring responsibilities, on work and those sort of things. So it has an impact on the individual, on the other children and ultimately can on the family in, uh, in a way that can be avoided if everyone's vaccinated. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, as you said, it does, it, there's small populations that it, it, it does have that catastrophic outcome, but it's still notable. And these are the reasons why we have vaccinations, you know, things like polio and smallpox and tetanus and whooping cough. They are all kind of things that we're trying to eradicate because they're they're not great. <laughs> they're not great for our for our bodies and our and our little children who've got really immature immune systems. That, that's right. And and having, you know, having been a nurse for a very long time, there is nothing worse than trying to care for a child with whooping cough. Oh yeah. You know, the impact of of some of these things that, because of our high levels of vaccination today, you know, we really commend Australians for parents for you know taking up that the vaccinations we we don't see whooping cough in any way near the nature would have seen in my generation because i'm a child of the 60s and uh, you know and sadly in my generation we got all of those things and you know particularly i recall the, the the terrible distress that caused children when they have whooping cough it's just so mm. difficult to manage and there's almost nothing you can do to help them mm. it, yeah, God, we're so lucky these days. It, it it just frightens me. I've seen my daughter's had croup a few times and I'm constantly like, is that whooping cough? You know, you're listening for that kind of difference in the sound. And, yeah, it's absolutely terrifying as a parent to think about that. But we're incredibly lucky here in Australia. We have our own production facility in Melbourne for the vaccination, for the flu vaccination at Securus. Like, so we've got fantastic access to these things so yeah that would be amazing so if if people are still on the fence Alison Mm -hmm. what where do you where would you direct them to learn more and to educate themselves about what's in the vaccine the benefits of the vaccine you know what are reputable sources that you could kind of steer people towards I, I think it's a really important question, Renan. I think, firstly, I want to acknowledge that if you are unsure or sceptical about this, that's fine. Mm. It's okay yep. to want to understand and know more. And, uh, and, and you know, we acknowledge that hesitancy is, is real and, and very, that's fine, as I say. I'm, I'm not, you know, don't let people, don't feel that you have to be frank to say I'm not sure or... Mm. Be, be worried to, to express, you know, I'm concerned, I'm just not sure about this, I need to understand more. You shouldn't be frightened to say that. It's very important to express that fear. You know, then depending on where you are, if it if it's in relation, for instance, to a planned or actual pregnancy, you know, talk to your midwife. The person that's, you know, there with you through your pregnancy journey, they can help you understand the approaches and explain about vaccination. Your general practitioner, again, is a very reliable source of advice in relation to pregnancy. If it's about your children too, um, child and maternal health nurses, general practitioners, um, if your child has special needs, it may be your paediatrician. Again, go to those people and talk to those health professionals about your concerns and then rely on information from um, reputable sources. So again, jurisdictional health, health department websites, advice from uh, the College of Midwives or the Royal Australasian College of 
obstetricians and gynaecologists, RAGSCOG, or from obviously I'll promote our Commonwealth Department of Health uh, website um, as, a, as a reliable, well-informed. And, and the thing also is that if English is not your first language, um, it, the information is translated into many languages to help you understand um, what this means for you. Mm. Yeah, that's that's so so true. I just wanted to raise also we had a um we had another guest on our podcast a few episodes ago. Her name's Dr. Jessica Stokes Parrish, and um, she came up with this amazing acronym for I guess sifting through fact versus fiction. So if you were to stumble across something on the internet and you were just like, oh, I'm really not sure, like how how do I work out if this is real or not? And she came up with this acronym called CRABS. And I highly encourage people to go listen to this episode. And it was around C stood for conflict of interest. So, you know, is the person who's spruiking this message, do they have a conflict of interest? Um, Have they presented any references when they've, you know, told you about a particular fact or a statistic that they're, you know, got on their meme or whatever it is, author. So, you know, anyone can write anything. Who is this person? Like what are they, what's their background? What's going on here? B was buzzwords. So she said, you know, we always see these emotive like dying, increased risk of, you know, like, you know, if you, what did she say? She says, like, if you feel like they're shouting at you, you know, that's where you're kind of thinking, oh, hold on a minute, this doesn't feel right. And the S was scope of practice. And I think that's what we see a lot these days. We get people who are like, you know, might be very well trained in one particular area, but then all of a sudden they've become an expert in, you know, something like immunology or, you know, vaccine vaccinations or something like that. So I thought, it would be remiss of me to not mention Jess and her CRABS acronym in this episode because I think something like that would be really, really valuable for our listeners when they're looking and assessing the vaccination, you know, information for them, their babies, their families. Work through that acronym and and kind of make that assessment. Do the critical analysis and hopefully it comes to, you know, a positive outcome for you and your family. So, yeah, she's she would be a great person to talk to, Alison, I think. <laughs> oh, I like that. Crumbs, yeah. Yeah, she's fantastic. I'll um I'll send you the episode when 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 we get off the air, but I guess I just wanted to wrap up. We normally do like a rapid fire at the end, which with is with normally all of our guests. So, two main questions. What would be your kind of go-to resource for mothers, you know, thinking about accessing further information? Obviously, you've spoken about midwives and things like that. Something like, do you have a book or is there a journal article or a workshop or anything like that, that anything, any additional things that you could recommend? I think I think the problem, no disrespect to books and, yeah. and those sort of things, but but this, but this world of this pandemic continues to evolve mm-hmm. and we continue, you know, the, the ability to predict the future is, has always been hard, but is also much more difficult at the moment. Mm. So I would suggest using the sort of places I've already suggested. So, yep. you know, reliable, 
I know people will probably frown, you know, and not agree with me, but <laughs> government websites, we, you know, we make sure that our advice is, is backed up by the best expertise, the best evidence available. So if you go to those places, if you're, if you see something elsewhere and you want to cross-reference it, you know, if, if it, if it has got evidence-based validity, you know, we will be looking, we constantly are looking at the current evidence across the world. And we constantly talk to other countries about their experiences. So we bring our learning from, from across the world. And you will make sure that whatever is the most up-to-date information you can get from the government health department websites. And again, the, the professional organisations that um, can support your information. And I guess to some extent, Renee, also podcasts like yours who are drawing on government expertise like mine to mean that people can hear the advice you know my advice given to you today is is provided to me again from the from the department of health that that's very supported with uh, good clinical evidence and good expertise so you know where people are using on their podcasts and their approaches I don't want to call myself an expert because I'm really a person speaking on on the experience and knowledge and information that the government department of health bring to this. That's what I would encourage people to do. I mean, there are lots of really good books around, you know, how to how to how to wrangle babies. Um, but <laughs> I think I've comes... got two of them behind me here. I can see on my picture. Yeah. But yeah, but when it comes to the most up to date health information. I think that's where you want to come to uh, places that have got really reliable um, advice for for, the, for, for families. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, by the time books are written and published and, you know, iterations are made, it, I, I recall one of my professors saying to me, it's already outdated. Like it's done. Mm. <laughs> well, by the time it comes, it comes to press, it's already mm. done. Absolutely. I just wanted to touch on, because I'm so fascinated with your involvement in the OSMAT deployments. Was there a particular situation or location where, you know, you were actually deployed to those locations, right? Just let me yeah. clarify that. Yeah. Was what was there kind of a key learning moment or there was something in those situations that, kind of spurred you on to the position that you're on. I, I'm just fascinated. that To me, it takes like a really particular type of person to be in those deployment positions. I can't imagine it was easy. I'll use the example of the Diamond Princess. So okay. you remember the Diamond Princess was the cruise ship that was birthed in Tokyo, which yeah. had a very big COVID outbreak mm. and we had to get Australians home. So negotiations occurred with the Australian government and the Japanese government and permission was given for an Australian team to deploy to Japan very quickly. I think mm. I had two hours notice to go home, pick up my gear and get on a plane to Sydney, as did everyone else. And then we had to work out the logistics of how do you get the people safely out of their cabins, onto the dock, into buses, onto that lovely Qantas 747 and home to Darwin and into Howard Springs, which is where they were going. 
they're logistics that we had never had to tackle before. Mm. And if, if there's anything I would say is those situations, it's about the team. Mm -hmm. So we brought together a, an array of health professionals, doctors, nurses, um, paramedics, and our logistics team are the really clever people that make all this happen. And it is the collective knowledge and the collective working together about how we were going to work to do that, what, what screening we needed to do, what information we needed to provide to the, the people on the ship, and then how we went about keeping ourselves safe mm. and them safe on that journey home. And it is the multidisciplinary team. No single person um, has all of the knowledge, and it's the collective knowledge you bring together in those teams that makes so, so successful. So it's the, the success of being a, a member of OSMAT is about being a team member and being able to work. But I remember, so it was, it was February here, so it was very hot. But when we arrived in Tokyo, it was incredibly cold because, of course, it's Northern Hemisphere. Yeah. And then when we got to the dock, there was this enormous cruise ship. I had never seen anything as big in my life. And just standing on the dock thinking, oh, my Lord, how are we going to get people <laughs> up there? But it was also, as I said before, an incredible privilege because those people had been in those cabins for two weeks. Wow. Yes. Yes. For two weeks. And so mm. when we knocked on the door in our full PPE, you know, with yeah. masks and goggles and gowns and gloves and all those things and said, hi, we're from Osmat and we're here to take you home. I cannot tell you how happy those people were to see us and how excited they were to go home. And it's a really... You know, as I say, it's a, a, a privilege to be able to have that opportunity to to help people in that way, because obviously most of the time in my job now, I'm I'm not a, I don't deliver direct care anymore as a nurse. I work yeah. in, in government. But yes, being able to do that and uh, uh, and landing them back in Darwin was, uh, you know, everyone was so, so happy to get home. Oh my goodness. I could just imagine if I was one of those people on that cruise ship, all I would have wanted to do is hug you. <laughs> but then like, you know, you're like, oh my God, <laughs> you know, don't touch anyone, I would imagine. <laughs> but that would be my instinct. I would just be in tears um, and just wanting to hug people. Oh my goodness. We had to do two weeks of quarantine here in the house when we moved from Melbourne to Tasmania. And that, like we had a house and a backyard. I I did not fare well at all. So I cannot even imagine what it would have been like in a cruise ship cabin that would have been awful. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I think the, the cruise company did everything that possibly could to oh, make yeah. them as comfortable yeah. as they could. But, yeah, imagine spending 24-7 with anybody yeah. eventually, <laughs> however yeah. much you might love them. <clears throat> yeah. absolutely absolutely oh my goodness that is amazing our final question that we always ask our guests and we've kind of poached it from Brene, Brene Brown's podcast is what do you keep on your bedside table <laughs> <laughs> well Brene I'm, I've been a nurse for a very long time and I tend to be a bit of a tidy freak okay so yeah really there's a glass of water the stand for my mobile phone mm -hmm. and a lamp. That's, That's it. That's pretty much it. 
Minimalist. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, very much so. yeah. we, we generally get one spectrum, one end of the spectrum. It's just chaos and like everything in there. I can't even see a table or it is, it is the minimalist. I'm, it is I'm the minimalist definitely on the minimalist end. I love it. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today, Alison. It's been really, really valuable. And I think in a world where, you know, there's people like you and I who I've got the background in science and you've got the access to all the data and, you know, the people in the know, we're educated in these areas like vaccinations and influenza and COVID and and, and things like that. But there tends to be you know, a lot of the population here in Australia don't have that education. There is that real gap in the knowledge and, you know, where you have a gap in the knowledge, some people might be inclined to fill it with fiction, not fact. And so I'm really appreciative of the fact that you have taken the time to walk us through, I guess, you know, the dangers of of influenza and, and how we can all benefit from those vaccinations that we are incredibly fortunate here in Australia to have access to. So thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I really appreciate it. And, and thank you to you for making it so easy. It's been <laughs> my pleasure. We're pretty we're pretty laid back here on the science of motherhood. <laughs> All right, then. Thank you so much for your time and we will see you next time. Thank you. Have a good day. If you loved this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a review. If you know someone out there who would also love to listen to this episode, please hit the share button so they can benefit from it as well. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. If you would like to contact us, we are at ifillyourcup.com or you can DM us at ifillyourcup underscore via Instagram. You can find all of our services, including our postpartum in-home care and our fill your freezer meal delivery service as well through both those channels. Thanks so much for listening.